Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, night protection services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause hey guys welcome back to another episode of surviving to thriving today i have with me september burton she is a fertility expert and abuse survivor and is a champion for women survivors of domestic violence after years of emotional verbal physical and financial abuse as well as abuse of power including family court system abuse a common thread in the women she meets stories she has finally managed to break free and now she wants to help other women break free as well. September, welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thank you for having me on. Of course. So let's just, you know, go right into what was it like growing up for you? What was your childhood like? Um, childhood was kind of interesting. I actually don't remember a lot of my childhood. I think I blocked a lot of it out. Parents divorced when I was an infant. And so my dad wasn't really involved very much. Um, but I think that that was because my mom sort of pushed him away, even after the separation. Um, so childhood, you know, was definitely a, a challenge for me. It was not, you know, I don't have a lot of good memories of growing up. I do have some, you know, we would go camping every year and we would do, a, we would do fun things, but there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of, you know, I definitely came from a broken home. So, yeah, definitely. Do you want to maybe go into just like one story, maybe of just like the struggles that you went through? I just think it's, it, I think our, the way that we grow up explains a lot of what happens to us in our adulthood. Um, so just to kind of give the listeners a little bit of some background, what were some of those struggles that you had to deal with? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess the biggest one was growing up with a mom who she, she was very controlling and she really, really wanted to make me completely dependent on her emotionally. And I think in every way, really, um, I think that she still kind of wishes that I had become a very, very dependent person. Um, but that's completely against my nature. My, my nature is very extremely independent, maybe to a fault. Um, and so it was really, it was my mom. She wanted to tell me that other people didn't love me so that I would rely on her love um, and, you know, things like that. She was definitely verbally and psychologically and emotionally very abusive. So, but it was at the end of the day, it was really all about control to make herself feel good. Yeah, so, definitely. I mean, that, that is such a hard childhood to grow up with. Was there ever a point where you realized, like, I don't want to be in this type of household anymore? And then, you know, you kind of worked on that plan to get out? Or was it really just like life in general, college and workforce that pushed you out? No, I left home at 17. I was still in my senior year of high school when I left home. And what had happened was that when I was 16, she had gotten remarried. Um, I grew up with three older brothers. And uh, my oldest brother is only, I think he's only three years older than me. And then there's a set of twins that are a year and a half older than me. So there were all four of us were so very, very close in age. And um, after she got married, she all of a sudden stopped using me as her dependent. Uh, you know, it was very, there was a huge shift and started relying on her husband more. And so there was that huge shift that was extremely confusing for me as a teenager to experience that. Um, and so 
when I was 16, I kind of had that realization that my twin brothers were going to be leaving the house soon and I was going to be there alone with this. And I, that thought was not okay with me. So I found an excuse to leave the house at 17 during my senior year of high school. Thank God I did finish high school and I did actually graduate from high school, but you know, that was what pushed me out. And then I never went back. And then I joined the Navy at 19 and that was the best decision I ever made because I moved to Sicily and uh, was stationed in Sicily. And so experiencing life from a different culture and a whole different perspective was truly the, probably the most healing thing that ever happened and what set me on the path that I'm on now of, of self-discovery and healing and independence and all of those kinds of things. That's, I, you know, my husband's military, so I always think that, you know, military is, it's a hard life, but it's definitely, um, it improves your life, you know, all around for sure. When you said you moved out at 17, what was that process like? I know, you know, there's a lot of listeners that are in that age range that possibly are in abusive homes that want to leave. So do you want to kind of explain the process of leaving while you're still a minor? Um, So I left because I got married um, and my mom did have to sign the paperwork for me to get married. But it was, you know, understanding it from the perspective that I do now, it was going from one abusive home to another abusive home and into the arms of a man who I thought was going to be my comfort and my source of support and, you know, all of those kinds of things. We only stayed married for nine months. And then, you know, I figured it out pretty quick, but that's really what it was, was just escaping one abusive environment to go to another abusive environment. Yeah. um, A lot of times, you know, we as adults can look back and say, this is why I did what I did. But when you're in that mindset of, you know, that teenage mindset, it's so hard to understand and differentiate what's going on. Is that kind of where your adult story begins of your Um, abuse story was that first relationship or is it one that happened after? I don't really consider that relationship part of my story of abuse just because even though, yeah, he was not the greatest man to be married to. I mean, he was only 19 years old. He was a baby too. You know, we were kids both trying to run away from home. But then after, after him, then I joined the Navy, went to college for a year and a half and then joined the Navy, stayed single the whole time that I was in the Navy, which was the best thing I could have done because I learned so much about myself. And looking back now, the times in my life when I stayed single have been when I flourish. That's when I do amazingly well, probably partly because I choose abusive men, but I do. And so I stayed single the whole time that I was in the Navy and I grew and I grew so much and I learned so much about myself. And then after the Navy, I was raised Mormon. I'm not Mormon anymore, but that's the religion that I was raised in. So I guess that's a big part of my childhood too. That plays into it a lot. But, uh, you know, I went back to the church when I was about to get out of the Navy, and that's when I met my first husband. And, you know, I don't know how much you talk about narcissism, but that's that's where it begins, I guess. Um, so he's really the first one, and he's, you know, on the scale of narcissism because it is a spectrum. He's not that bad. He's definitely on the spectrum, but he's not that bad comparatively to my second relationship that is the reason that I'm still in hiding right now. So, but that's really, I guess, the beginning of it. You know, I'm, I'm very, very into stories. I think that there's so much to learn from the written word and from a lot of the old, old fairy tales, not, not the Cinderella, you know, Disney stuff, but um, the real ones. 
And so I, I compare it to The Big Bad Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood. And if you if you think about Little Red Riding Hood and who she really was, you know, she was this lost, lonely little girl in the cold woods. And and why doesn't she have a mother? And where's, you know, where's mom? And why is she in the woods by herself? And then she finds, you know, grandma's house, which is supposed to be warm and nurturing. And this is supposed to be her source of comfort. But really, it's this wolf who has disguised himself as a source of comfort and that's really kind of how i see narcissists they they wear that mask they cover everything up and then they suck you in and then they literally just eat you alive and completely destroy you or at least that's their goal so i you know i i did it twice and there's that it's i think it's a lot about the introspection and the coming to terms with your own pain and what would have led you to that to be in that place and so that's where I come from in telling my story is I I have to admit to myself that I did this to a certain extent I made these choices I didn't choose to heal earlier in my life so and and find self-love and take care of myself so that I would avoid these kinds of situations I've done it now and I'll never go back at this point but the extreme situation that I had to go through to get to this point is really part of why I want to tell my story because I don't want other people to have to go through what I've gone through and I'm continuing to go through. It's not even over for me yet. I don't know where, where do you want me to take that from there? <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I think that it's, it, you know, what you said is really important about realizing self-love and, and all of those things to prevent you from getting into another relationship. But I kind of want to go back to the first one and looking retrospectively at it, what were some of the like major signs that you, that you didn't see as they were happening, but looking back, you can say, okay, that was a red flag there. I should have gotten out of the relationship then. Uh, what were some of those things that you saw? He, he was a liar and I knew that he was a liar. I, I call it pretty words and bullshit you know, when they, they tell you what you want to hear kind of a thing. And so I figured out fairly quickly that he just said whatever he thought I wanted to hear. And then there was no follow through, you know? Um, so the, the words were there, but the actions didn't back up the words. I think with him, that was the biggest um, red flag. Um, and then at the very end of the relationship, he became physically abusive. You know, I remember being told some of my friends saw that I was not okay. I just, I, I carried a heaviness and a sadness with me. And so they told me, you know, you need to take care of yourself, take care of yourself. And so I scheduled a massage. And uh, the day that I went to get the massage, the massage therapist said, okay, what, what do you like? What do you like massaged? And I, the only thing that I said to her was, I don't like my legs touched, but in reality, my legs were covered in bruises. And that's why I just didn't want her to see that, you know? And that was a moment, I remember that moment very vividly because even as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh my God, I'm lying to cover up an abuser. And it was really, it was pretty powerful. I still didn't leave, he left. I'm, my mentality, and I think this goes back to being raised Mormon, is that you don't leave, you work it out. You find a way to work it out. And especially when there's kids involved, and I was pregnant when he did leave. And, you know, especially when there's kids involved, you're better off working it out, finding a way to work it out. But one of the epiphanies that I've had recently is that, you know, we're told as women, if he, if he touches you, if he ever lays a hand on you, you get out of that relationship. He's gonna do it again, you know, leave. 
But we don't say that about the emotional and the psychological abuse. And that's one thing that I think at this point I would like to get across is if he does it once, he's going to do it again. And it's going to escalate. And then it's going to escalate to physical. And why, do, why put yourself through all of that emotional and psychological abuse and wait for it to escalate to the physical? You know, Oprah has a quote where she says, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. And that one's pretty powerful because, you know, every if he lies to you, believe him. He's a liar. He is. So do you want to be with a liar or do you want to be with somebody who's honest and true? So that's really, I think, one of the key key factors that I've figured out, especially in the last six months, as I've been on a, an intensive healing journey over the last six months. That is really powerful. I think that, you know, when you're in those situations or even just at the, the, the starting stage, you tend to say, you know, it won't happen again. Oh, you know, like he was just frustrated. You know, I pushed his button, something, you know, anything to make that excuse. But we forget that the statistics are that it will happen again. You know, it's not just a one-off because even, you know, people who get frustrated that are not, not narcissistic and not abusive, when they get frustrated, they're not going to resort to those types of behaviors. They're just going to be mad. So that's, I think that's really important and powerful um, to mention. So this, your first um, relationship ended and then what happened in between that time period of when he left and when you got into your next relationship? So when he left, I was only 11 weeks pregnant. So I was just very, very early in the pregnancy with number four. And so I had this 18 month period where I really didn't go out much because I wasn't obviously going to date while I was still going through a divorce and I was pregnant. So there was no dating involved. And I, I chose to use that time to really, really learn about myself. And I learned about my ancestry. I learned about just a lot of myself. I started doing regular meditation. I started just healing and focusing on being on that spiritual path. And uh, it was, you know, it was interesting because having been raised Mormon and then switching over to that more spiritual path was in itself kind of its own journey. But that's, that's what I use that time for. And then after my number, my fourth child was born, he didn't take her, the court orders were that he would come into the home to visit with her, but not take her out. I was breastfeeding and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so for the first nine months after she was born, I had her hundred percent of the time. So there, you know, I still had a, an infant with me. So there was still no real going out. There was still no real dating. I used that entire time, that entire 18 month period to really, really focus on myself. And I think what's interesting is how much worse the second relationship that I was in. Somebody said to me just yesterday that he thinks that when you're an empath and you attract those narcissists, the more empathic that you are and the more spiritually healed that you become, the greater, the worse narcissist that you actually end up attracting if you get back into that relationship. And one of the things that was interesting was when I did start going out, I first started going out just to network because I had a business. And so I was doing a lot of networking. Well, I met number two at a networking group. And then we started dating probably five or six months later after we met. And uh, I was still doing all of my self-care. I was still taking care of myself and on that healing path. And then about six months into the relationship with him, I saw a side of him that I did not like. And, um, and I broke up with him. I ended it. And, uh, and then 
We got back together a few weeks later. As soon as we got back together, I stopped all of that self-care stuff. And that is really kind of an epiphany to me because it's like, I would not have been able to stay in that relationship if I had continued with my self-care. And the other interesting piece of that is that I started up again at the very end of the relationship and it wasn't very long before he left once I started taking care of me again. So it's really, really interesting that it's that self-care piece. It's that self-love. It's, you know, and anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, like this is self-love. Even just listening to a podcast like this is an act of self-love. So as long as you stay on that journey, I think that they won't stick around if you're somebody who takes care of yourself because people who take care of themselves, you, you set boundaries. And if you set boundaries, they don't put up with that. They want nothing to do with it. Definitely. What do you think was that driving factor or like the whatever that made you stop that self-care? Did he kind of, you know, notice that you were doing it and suggest that you stopped? Or was it just kind of like, okay, this is a whirlwind kind of situation and I want to be there for him. So I'm going to stop that. Or what was that kind of that driving factor that ended that self-care no he's he would never ask me to stop something like that because he has to appear perfect to everybody he has to appear perfect even to me so he would never do something like that but uh, I think it was I think it was my own self-sabotage I think that I had reached a certain point on my healing path but I hadn't maybe crossed that threshold into the next aspect of it, you know, which I think I have now at this point, but at that point I hadn't. And I, I didn't learn about narcissism after the first relationship. That was one of the problems. I needed a word to put to everything because I'm, I'm uh, somebody who wants to read and learn and understand. And so I needed a word to be able to put to it. It wasn't until after I separated from this, the second guy, um, that I found a therapist and that therapist immediately was like, have you ever heard of the narcissist empath dance? And so then I started researching narcissism and empaths and understanding what was really going on. And, you know, every book I read, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like my life right there. You know, that's exactly, they, they've lived it. And so that was really, I guess the, the pivotal moment was being able to put a word to it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's really important, especially, you know, for women who are going through these situations is to understand what is happening and the cycles and the words and the terminology, because it just makes it easier to understand when you can say, you know, when one time it's like, oh, well, he does this and this and this, but it's kind of like this. And then when you say he's a narcissist, it makes it a lot easier to describe what's happening within the relationship. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.